Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, uh, recorded at various remote locations around the greater New York City area. <laughs> I'm Calvin Reed, a contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. You know, I'm also a contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. And you can find us on Twitter if you really want to go to that health site <laughs> at, at PW Comics World. <laughs> and I'm Meg Lemke. I'm Publishers Weekly's graphic novels reviews editor. And I'm very sorry to say we don't have Kate Fitzsimmons with us today because she is out sick. Feel better, Kate. Yeah, big... Yeah, big shout out, Kate. It is not the same without you, and hope you feel better real soon. All right. Much. All right. Okay, and uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can also leave us a rating or a comment or a brickbed or a kudo on any of those sites, because we love to hear from our listeners. Hit us up, why don't you? Anyway, this week on More to Come, 2023, the year in review. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, it was times. I mean, it was <laughs> it wasn't the worst of times, as we'll get into. And there was a lot of good things. It was mixed good and bad. It sure, was times. sure, sure. There, 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 there were some ugly things on the landscape. But once again, uh, the category is growing. Uh, there's new trends. Um, uh, we looked at what the 50th anniversary of the direct market. Uh, we could go on and on and on and on. Um, but just to, just and there to was a lot of good started. stuff at PW. Yes, <laughs> just to get it started, Meg, you were the hero. You did something no human had ever done before this year. You did it twice, and you're going to do it again. Yes. I'm in the middle of doing it a third time. I literally had to put it down. To get <laughs> much like much like a graphic novel, something that takes a lot of time and then is read quickly, um, <laughs> is the Publishers Weekly biannual comics standalone previews issues, which we're calling previews now versus announcements. They're a look ahead to the next season a broad coverage of trade publishers and small indie presses putting out graphic novels, memoirs, all kinds of comics. And, uh, and for the first time, they're on their own issue, inclusive of young adult, um, middle grade, early reader picks, themed sidebars. We get a, we just, and top tens in all of those subcategories. So we get a big, you know, Bible you can take to your ordering stand if you're a bookseller, a reader. Um, and we also are going to continue to develop more um, features within the issue. So mm -hmm. we've mm -hmm. had profiles on cartoonists in the first two. We got um, Q&As with cartoonists. And I hear there's going to be some additional goodies in the next issue that's coming out in January, which we'll be looking at spring 2024. We, we love it. We love it. It's an important measure of just how far... The category has come at Publishers Weekly. How much hard work Meg puts work in Meg put, uh, yes. all the time. Uh, Heidi, yes. as the first PW's graphic novels review editor, I mean, yeah, well, I never, I never could have done a whole issue. You know, so you it, know, all kudos to Meg. She's yes. 
superhero in my book. Like cartoonists who are like, you have no idea how long it took me to draw this one line. <laughs> no, it's just it. Listings are such an interesting project because you you take in you know hundreds and hundreds of pitches, and you pick one out of twenty for every publisher. <laughs> yes, yeah. and then it's literally two lines in the end, but they have to be yeah. lines that you have written anew versus repl- replicating their marketing copy, and it's just so weirdly time consuming. But also very, very special opportunity because I get to see everything coming up and think about what I really think makes sense to share with our audience. Um, and, you know, and, like look both at my own taste and beyond my own taste. It's a lot of fun. And yeah. it's hugely, yeah. like, useful to your colleagues. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> who well, pick it apart yeah. to, to figure out what they're supposed to be doing in the, in the coming months. Well, this was not the only cool thing at PW uh, that happened with graphic novels this year. We also had our own day at the return to in-person U.S. book show. And yep. uh, so there was a whole day of programming, which, again, Meg, you were in the thick of helping put it together. And, you know, it was so great that even Flavor Flav showed up. He yes. said he showed up to support Chuck D, who was the headliner. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should clarify, it was the first ever in-person U.S. book show. Yeah. But a sort of return of sorts for the community after Book Expo closed. Um, and we'd had two years of virtual shows through the pandemic with U.S. Book Show. Um, we had headliners, Rose Chass, Chuck D, as well as Jeff Smith and Tilly Walden, who uh, Heidi, you interviewed yeah. together. Yes, great conversation. Absolutely great. So uh, and it was a fun day. It was a fun day to see the, the, the kind of the the New York graphic novel community in person. There was definitely a great feeling of, uh, community there that day. So it was, it was a fun day. Uh, I thought. <laughs> lunches. Um, if you all are listening, put a mark in May date listed somewhere online for it to return and see what you think. We're going to have more details uh, coming up. Mm. More to come. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's, yes, well, that was PW. We wanted to put our little year in review up at the top, but there was a billion other things that happened in the world of graphic novels everywhere. Uh, and unfortunately, um, I think uh, the biggest story of the year was the continued attempt at book banning and um, just libraries in jeopardy, librarians leaving the profession and just really, you know, continued Ron DeSantis holding up a, mm. a panel from Gender Queer at his debate, and uh, it just goes on and on. So comics were still in the crossfire of today's political headwinds. Yeah. Uh, but what we're also seeing this year, and this is kind of my uh, best of times, worst of times take on it, is we're starting to see uh, the industry, the library librarians, the library institutions, book publishers start to fight back. Obviously, Meg's panel at New York Comic Con uh, was very much about that. But we're seeing lawsuits um, and we're seeing federal appellate courts uh, issuing some stays in Texas and Arkansas, plus suits filed among among a number of plaintiffs. Uh, Penguin Random House, uh, the Association for American Publishers, the ABA, the Authors Guild, they're all a party to suits in Missouri and Florida and Alaska and Iowa uh, uh, to fight both uh, um, legal challenges and legislation that's pending uh, in some of these um, regressive state legislatures. So um, uh, we have not yet begun to fight. 
And also things like the controversy around the Scholastic Book Fair segment. Yeah. Of yeah. Their mm-hmm. offerings as diverse books and allowing different districts to opt out. They really rolled that back in response to public outcry. So you are seeing, I think there is a lot of disclaimer that there's no chilling effect in editorial rooms. And I just don't quite believe that, but I think that they're, we're seeing publishers uh, realize that they, they can't mess around with it. You know, that they're yeah. called out. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a lot of publishers who really are, and I see this as evident in the previews I'm just looking at. There's so many works coming out that are following gender queer that reference gender queer mm. as a comp. Um, it's kind of incredible. You know, publishers are definitely leaning in as well to making sure to bring up diverse voices in response to these attacks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, just to give PW a shout out, you know, shout out to Andrew Albanese and, and the Watka who have been covering a lot of the stuff on the ground. Um, and actually went to some of the, um, uh, actual court, uh, hearings in, uh, in Texas where he lives. So, you know, we're starting to see even Trump appointed judges say that the First Amendment is part of the Constitution. And a lot of these ridiculous laws are a clear violation of the They're First blatant. Amendment. So. Blatant infringements yeah. of First Amendment yes. rights. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And yeah, but we can't downplay how coordinated and massive and scale mm-hmm. these efforts of censorship have been. You know, I think that if you look at some of Andrew Albanese's reporting at PW, and I'd love to point people to that, that we're talking about, like, massive escalation yes. and doubling and tripling of um, of uh, challenges filed. And that it's just, we all we all know, and this is, I think, complicated by the pandemic it's exhausting it's exhausting yes, the worker on the mm, front lines to mm, deal with the paperwork yeah, and the bureaucracy yeah. as well as the personal threats yes. and, and teachers are dealing with and threats to their job these are people who are choosing to go into professions that are historically underpaid are service oriented and then they're being absolutely exhausted and excoriated through this yes yes yeah so but I, the good news is that i mean there were there were uh, positive developments in 23. Yes. And one of them was that in November, uh, there was a lot of school board elections and a lot of Moms for Liberty candidates went down in flames and they did not win these elections. So, you know, it's a very much grassroots uh, reaction where ordinary parents, I hate to say it, are realizing that they, you know, they're, they have to stand up and be counted. And, you know, the, the hope is to fight uh, the, that exhaustion will take over, but but we're seeing people fight back because they have no choice, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, and honestly, like reading comics in public is one of the things that came up on our panel as something to do. You know, literally just uh, showing that literate adults are graphic novel readers helps to push against the stigma around comics as um, lowbrow that allows these attacks to go under the radar in some cases or feel less necessary to counter as like established prose literature. Didn't Brian Heater yeah. start a read a comics in public day? A couple yeah. years Remember ago. that? Yeah. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shout, yeah. Shout, shout out to Brian. Yeah. Well, there's, there's definitely more to come on that. Yes. And, um, you know, again, up and down, best of times, worst of times, also best of times, worst of times. The other big, big, big story of 23 was absolutely uh, sales um, returning. Sales, I guess, uh, um, 
returning to the new normal following the pandemic. Yeah. And we saw during, uh, obviously 2020, despite all of the crazy shit that happened, wait, I have to bleep that out. All of the <laughs> very, very controversial things that happened, uh, to commerce retail, then the sales soared. Manga sales were up something like, what is it? 600%? I mean, it's ridiculous. And, um, uh, even periodical comics, graphic novels, every kind of comic, kids comic, every kind of comic sales were way up during the pandemic. So, uh, comic shops sales were up, bookstore sales mm-hmm. were up. And now in 23, every week in Publishers Weekly, I see Jim Milliot, the retiring Jim Milliot, write a story that's like, uh, book sales slip in April or something, or book sales the same in April, but it's, yeah. it's pretty much been incremental changes. Now in comics, we don't have as many, um, sales charts, but we do know, I'm seeing a lot of comic shops towards the end of the year really being frank, like they need a big holiday season. We're definitely seeing, uh, this, this, you know, holiday season, like fourth quarter, definitely seeing a lot of sales erosion. I've heard 20%, and so we'll, we're gonna see, you know. Well, during, um, during New York, New York Comic Con and Milton's uh, look, he did. Mm-hmm. He did give a brief year-to-date look at twenty twenty-three, and yes, everything was pretty much down across the board, uh, even manga. Uh, once again, everything was so high. Uh, mm-hmm. The new normal uh, for so high that you, you know you can drop pretty far and still be ahead of uh, pre-pandemic levels. But but clearly, uh, uh, things are starting to come back to normal a little bit. But we'll see. We're, to come back to a new normal. Yeah, and I think the big the big question is how did individual shops, how did individual publishers react to this you know unprecedented growth? I mean, as I've mentioned, I've mentioned a few times here on the podcast, but you know, if you did what Funko did, then you really messed up. You Funkoed it up because they wildly overproduced. I mean, again, collecting was way up during the pandemic, but people were at home and wanted to buy little yeah, chopsies yes. that made them feel good. Sure. So they bought a lot of Funko Pops, and they wildly overproduced. And then suddenly we're like, oh, we're not selling like we used to. Well, let's burn, literally, literally destroy $35 million worth of product. So the question with comics publishers, and I have not seen that, you know, uh, Jenny Comics, Comics publisher, uh, was like, oh, whoopee doo, I'm gonna double the size of my staff and put out five times as many books, cause that's how this is gonna be. I mean, comics publishers tend to be a pretty cautious bunch, so I didn't see a lot of wild overproduction. I mean, there were some, of course, but, yeah. um, hopefully the market can, can readjust and, um, you know, right now, even as we record this, we're seeing like there's a huge Twitter conversation and, and it's, you know, it's become politicized, but, but I think saner voices are finally beginning to prevail a little bit in that conversation. So, um, and, uh, you know, the help, help is on the way. We well, are we're also getting... in the middle of the, the most important part of the year for, for book retails and I'm sure for any, any retailer, uh, October to December. I mean, usually is the make or break period for yes. whether you had a good year or a bad year or a meh year. So we're, we're in the middle of it, and, and um, obviously we're hoping retail, retailers do real well. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think a question for me, and Heidi, you're getting at this, is how much uh, is sales downturn also related simply to economic downturn? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Economic downturn. 
versus structural um, or programmatic changes by publishers and retailers. And I think that's something that is to be sorted out. Sure. Well, I think, I think the main reason for this is absolutely just the general. I mean, comics are not the, the, the leader of this slipping. It's everything. Everything is slipping. Other, you know, toy retailers are slipping. Toy sales are down this holiday. Every sales and everything are down because we're in a very, you know, the economy isn't great. I mean, they say it's booming, but everybody's spending power has gone down because of inflation. And that, that's just the reality. Right, and it's a vicious cycle. There's layoffs. Like the tech industry is experiencing significant layoffs currently um, across the board, and then those folks, you know, are spending less money tightening belts. It's a really, it's a, it's a circle. You know, obviously, I, I was wasn't around for your recap of Anime NYC, but you know, when I talked with Ed Chavez, all the things we talk about, he brought up. You know, sales are down. Um, you know, he cited you know some other problems. But, you know, when you ask him, but, but how are you doing? You, you know, he said, well, you know what? Pretty good. More mm-hmm. titles. Yeah. He's publishing more titles. Even at a time when he said that licensing out of Japan has the bureauc- the bureaucratic size of, because there's so much competition now, you can look at that in another way. Obviously, that this is a market that's really active. There's so much yeah. more competition for, for licenses. That the the bureaucracy of Japanese rights public uh, uh, rights uh, departments is slowing things down, getting these titles. Yeah, that's interesting. We talked about that from your notes, but mm-hmm. I do really kind of love that. I think that there's that's a lot like the books stuck on ships problem, right? Like just yeah, yeah. <laughs> pipeline issues that people don't anticipate that have a significant effect um, with with speed and sell through and bringing these physical objects to market. Yeah. Well, we're definitely seeing just, you know, the evolution that began during the pandemic with the diamond shutdown. It's kind of reaching its final subtle, you know, final form for now, uh, just with image finally went to a different distributor. They went to lunar for their periodical comics yes. and then to mm-hmm. Simon and Schuster for their book trade, which was a big surprise for a lot of people. And then in another surprise, they had a, a change at the top, uh, at the end of the year, bringing in Margot Wood as their VP of uh, sales. And so uh, there was some, you know, image, I think, had some upheaval. However, an image imprint, Skybound, had what I think has to be called the biggest success of the year in the direct market anyway, with their relaunch of the Hasbro titles, which includes Transformers, G.I. Joe, Cobra, Cobra, uh, all this stuff. I never read. But um, Transformers <laughs> number one by the great Daniel Warren Johnson. Everybody loves him. He is the hottest mm. artist out there. And uh, anecdotally, uh, Transformers number one sold more than 150,000 copies in the direct market, and that's a pretty good number. Yeah. That's a big, strong, wow. solid number. And so there is still, you know, there's still life in, in that there comic shop. I think I think beginning the first six months of 2024 are going to be consumed with these conversations. However, I think... Um, I think the, the, the adjustment, uh, the, the readjustment or the, the reactions to how this holiday season does, I think there will, there will be more to come on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would into that, that, you know, Kevin, remember that IDW's, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles also topped the list that Milton put out. And I think it's interesting that mm-hmm. these nostalgic properties from the same period are both soaring, mm. you know, rebooted nostalgia properties from the 80s and 90s, essentially, right, with Transformers, mm. um, G.I. Joe. 
and the turtles. <laughs> yeah, but we're looking yeah. at, we're looking totally. at a marketplace, uh, the kind of marketplace that we've talked about for so many years. Uh, literally something for everyone. Uh, obviously yeah. kids are driving it. Manga is as dominant now as it was, you know, in the what, 2005, 2006 when it was like two thirds of the graphic novel marketplace. I think it's somewhere near 50% now. Uh, so, uh, we, we really are seeing, uh, you know, just a continuation of the patterns we've seen over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, manga's down too. It's down again. This is this is everywhere. It's everything. Yeah. yeah, everything is down, and you know, we are going through a sales slowdown in many, many different sectors. And yes, there's going to need to be adjustments. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, you know, comics aren't going anywhere. No, nope, they nope. are not dying. No, nope. Um, there was some other. Uh, well, one other kind of big bummer, like best of times, worst of times sort of thing was that comiXology really is no more. It's just if you go, the app is dead. It's all been subsumed to Kindle. I mean, there was still a landing page on Amazon that's called comiXology and still has some comiXology-related features. But, uh, yeah, comiXology, we hardly knew you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should we look at more upheaval, uh, or, you know, we work? Well, there's, well, let's look at some of the good things. Yeah, that okay. Yeah, let's just look, uh, go around the horn here. Uh, so, so, yeah, Meg, there was a bunch of new imprints. There though. you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, We're so. wanting to just shout out some of the many new imprints. There's a, a proliferation of new imprints, which is lovely to see, uh, including two at Big Publisher, Penguin Random House, Inklore, and Ten Speed Graphic. And Ten Speed Graphic in particular has a pretty significant list that rolled out this year. Um, you know, a number of big books that, you know, kind of all came out at once. Um, and then Inklore is just starting to release their first titles under that are new to the imprint, though they've also subsumed the Lore Olympus titles like they picked that up but are now being published under an inklore um also distillery who you know yesterday or earlier this week uh, also launched their digital reader i don't know Heidi, if you want to pick that up oh There's- well i mean yeah i mean they um i mean you could read that yeah they're the founders from the people who bought you comicsology <laughs> yes so that, yes well, we're speaking <laughs> <laughs> And, and and we might want to talk about. I mean, you mentioned Inklore, but really, Inklore's the, the launch of Inklore's is this throws a light on the growth of the webtoon platforms, um, right. you know, uh, and web comics in general. And uh, as as uh, uh, our most recent feature uh, uh, survey, um, their 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 migration of these titles into print. So yeah, and we just. Oh, on, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, I still find it fascinating that the publishers are putting so they're banking so heavily on uh, people who've been reading these series online, buying them as books, and they feel very confident about it. I think they have enough examples now that this is a ready market. Um, so Inklore is part of that, but really, we're seeing webtoons and web comics be reprinted now or collected, however we want to phrase it, across imprints. You mm-hmm. know, Tensor Graphic has some coming up too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to point out that, you know, in the 
in the wake of Comixology, there's mm-hmm. uh, quite a few digital comics uh, apps and stores that are, you know, trying to fill that void and or and trying to become a, a place where readers can get digital because it, it publishers really want and creators mm-hmm. everybody wants to have a robust. Um, user-friendly digital interface that's dedicated to comics because the, the the way that Amazon has it now is just so not so not you know it's it's Kindle it's not made for comics so I, I just want to shout out both Global Comics which has been out for a while and then Omnibus which is new this yeah. year but they're both have launched new versions of their app and they're both uh, really dedicated to creating a new reading experience uh, for this so yeah. was that Saturday AM is that a new um manga digital manga house or is that no they've been around they've been around they're right they've been around for a while listen a lot of existing players got a fresh coat of paint this year too Mm, yeah you know that's the other one i mean just a real quick shout out to um you know mad cave we've been talking about them for a Mm -hmm. while they continued their kind of rise with more money being spent. Yeah. Um, and also Oni kind of rebranded after a really rough year last year. And True. So had, a, they, had a big new hire as well. Yes. More with, continued new hires with Sierra Han. Sierra Han as editor-in-chief. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's been coming over uh, with all of his networking and brain power. I yes. also noticed a lot of little lines and imprints coming up on uh, Image. Like the tiny onion. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is tiny onion with a dark horse or image? Dark horse and image seem to have a number of their creators leading these lines or imprints where they're publishing their work and friends. Uh, and that's, that's really very similar to big, you know, trade publishers in New York, uh, like following the lead of certain editors. And it's, it's nice to see. It is. There's a lot. This is, there's a lot of pro- product out there and tinians. Uh, uh, yeah, giant, yeah. Uh, that there might be, you know, too much. And I think we did see kind of the biggest, um, kind of, uh, like collapse of the year was IDW, where, uh, I mean, I think I, I'm a little rough on the, on the timeline there, but they definitely kind of cut their staff and then they cut their originals line mm. and really revamped, retooled, kind of restructured, hired, fired the whole marketing department, hired a whole new marketing department. And as the year is ending, I'm hearing they're really just uh, concentrating on licensed books again. Yeah. So they have um, originals coming out and they have a lot of top shelf books. So it's, it's not like they're mm. not publishing originals. Well, that is the kind of the, the the best of times at IDW. That top shelf is getting a lot more attention, and I think it's becoming mm. a lot more prominent. And you know, as well it should, because top shelf has put out some of the most significant yes. traffic <laughs> of the last twenty years. And yeah, and, maybe know, they know how to. Gets to March. They seem to know how to publish those kind of books. Maybe a little better than the, their parent company. And it's not new news, but Lee Walton is, is you know solidly. Maybe this yeah. is several years in now as an editor there versus doing mm. marketing. Figures. So I think we're yeah. seeing his vision as an editor now come to the fore more as well. Yeah. All right. So uh, there was also some change at Marvel and DC for longtime criminologists. Um, two of the most controversial figures uh, in the comics industry left. And I don't think either of them left entirely of their own volition. So at, at uh, Marvel Comics, Ike Perlmutter, the incredibly controversial, long-term 
uh, chairman and got the boot from Bob Iger. And, uh, you know, there was a great cheering at that, but uh, Ike is not gone. He is still back. He is backing a hostile board takeover right now at Disney. So even though he is no longer in charge, he was laid off for budgetary reasons. Um, and Disney's really having a tough time. I mean, the MCU definitely mm-hmm. had some pretty bad outings this year with Secret Invasion, uh, and uh, Ant-Man, Quantumania, and then, of course, everybody blames the Marvels, but it really was only the continuation of a pretty bad, rough, uh, rough spot for the MCU. So, yeah, a lot of uncertainty there. Over at DC, Pam Lifford, who was in charge of the division that housed DC, and if, if by DMs are to be believed, was behind a lot of the layoffs and really just stripping down DC, you know, to the to the studs. Um, was also left Warner Brothers Discovery and a new, uh, person in charge will be found. But, but uh, I heard there was, you know, uh, at least one DC exec had a big Halloween party after that news was announced and I heard there was quite a bit of celebrating. Our light mood. The mood was light. Nobody ever wants to see anyone goes. lose their job, but there was a lighthearted mood yeah. at this party. <laughs> the skies opened up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What else do we have here? Oh, some other people left, Calvin. Yeah. Well, I think one person that did left, um, uh, who we absolutely have to kind of, uh, uh, give her some roses as she moves into another, uh, phase of her life is Anel Miller at the Society mm-hmm. of Illustrators. Yeah, totally. Um, the, uh, she orchestrated the acquisition of, uh, of the Mocha Art Fest, uh, and the, well, the, really the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art as a whole, uh, Bringing it into the Society of Illustrators, uh, reviving, uh, and refreshing, uh, the MoCo Arts Festival, uh, it, uh, so that it can take its place once again as really one of the great indie comics fests of New York City. Uh, so, uh, we, and we did an, we did a, a, a kind of a two-on-one interview with Anel. Uh, just to talk about her accomplishments and what she's doing now. So shout out to Anel Miller and, and congrats on the time she spent, her impact on Absolutely. the local and, the, yeah, and really the global comics community in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally. People run really meaningful, but that's been one of the best shows and I think really launched careers. You know, since it's a New York City-based indie show, editors – uh, who are here at the major houses have just made a lot of discoveries, I think, through that as well from a publishing perspective. There you go. Shout out yeah, to Yeah, and Anel. also, yeah, shout out to Anel, uh, just one of the best people. Uh, also, one of the uh, good ones, uh, Lance Festerman, moved yeah. on from Repop and uh, is over at Fanatics starting up um, the Comic-Con of Sports. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we had one of the very few interviews with him uh, as part of our uh, San Diego Comic-Con preview, as a matter of fact. And or or New York, I all blends together in my mind. But uh, yeah, Lance also good friend of of uh, our comics coverage here. Uh, Calvin and I both worked with him at New York Comic Con briefly, and um, you know, look forward to seeing what happens at Fanatics. Yeah, yeah. Lance has always been a great guy at, at, at really delivering what fans want out of out of out of a show. Yeah, totally. So. Do you guys know who else formally retired this year? That what? Calvin. Calvin supposedly retired. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Am I part of the news? I <laughs> didn't put you on the list. I just thought of it. Well, I guess I am part, but yes. Uh, and I've gotten my flowers this year, too, believe me. But yes. Big news 
across the industry is Kevin Reed, um, formally retiring from his staff role, but absolutely present. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As someone who is we- referenced called in a panic multiple times a week. It's all good. It's all good. The spirit of Calvin is hovering around in the background for sure. But yes, and and also I should say uh, uh, I was very lucky to get the the Tom Spurgeon Award from the CXC Comics Festival. Uh, Really one of the greatest honors I could get being in this great business. And, uh, you know, we all knew Tom, uh, so this is really a special a very special award, and I really appreciate it, uh, getting it from them. So um, we miss you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there was uh, – in the, the worst of times category, for sure, uh, I'm actually doing my beat survey where I look back and look forward with a bunch of, you know, comics professionals. And I'll tell you, there is a lot of talk about uh, labor unions, mm. comics – and comics broke me. So comics broke me is a hashtag that was started by uh, Shivana Sutio after the death of our artist Ian McGinty, who was only 38 years old. And it really just opened the floodgates for people to talk about just how it's not a hard business. And making comics is very taxing. It's taxing physically. It's taxing emotionally and mentally. And uh, really the comics broke me hashtag really helped people uh, gave it a spotlight to all that, as long as well as the continued movement towards unionization and labor movements and guilds and organizations that um, are you know helping cartoonists to improve their working conditions. Sure. Yeah, we saw unionization at Image, at Drawn and Quarterly, quite mm. recently. Yeah, uh, and you know we would I would say that. Well, do you want to stop more on Comics Broke Me? Because I don't want to rush past that. I think it was interesting also from a social media perspective that it it really hit before the complete tanking of Twitter. You know, it was early in mm-hmm. the early in the yeah. depths of Twitter. So it was from the last, I feel like, really important yeah. reaching social phenomenon coming up through the community. Uh, and there were some really personal and hard stories. There were some false starts in it, just like any of these mm. two style. These hashtag movements. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some, there, you know, there's some tangents that maybe were better left unexplored. But I think overall, you know, the kind of representation of the physicality of the labor was really important, you know, and I think maybe some of the fans and editors working with folks really slowed down to think on that. It's very hard to put an hourly rate onto comics as they're developed in the graphic novel sector. And I think that continues to be a struggle that is felt in partnership with writers of prose, you know, who similarly can't quantify like a lawyer, you know, by the quarter hour, their thinking power, right. And the time they spend developing stories, nor can cartoonists really account for all of their line work, you know, just the real time it takes to do this work. Um, but where we see writers, general population and creatives trying to bring this up is with the WGA and SAG strikes. Um, and I think that those had a, were in conversation with these unionization and um, sort of labor issues on the comics industry side. I mean, obviously the whole issue of unionization, you know, on the creative side is a, is a mm-hmm. tough, tough Tough issue, but I, I think what Comics Broke Me uh, did, it connected with uh, the kinds of uh, situations that prose writers uh, kind of were, were 
trying to throw a light on with the uh, publishing paid me hash, mm-hmm. hashtag those yeah. years before. Both right. of these areas of publishing, uh, you know, continue to present unusual challenges to the core, <laughs> the core, uh, producers of what makes them these great, you know, platforms. Uh, so this is an ongoing, uh, issue that the creative industries have to deal with, uh, in, be it cop, whether you're doing graphic novels or prose novels, uh, how do you pay a living wage? How do artists break in? And, and, they, and yeah, go on, Heidi. Oh, I, well, I was just going to say, obviously in tandem with this, we had the Writers Guild strike and yeah. the Screen Actors Guild SAG after strike, which were the, you know, almost, I mean, it was the, the longest actor strike ever by far. Yeah. The mm-hmm. second longest writers guild strike. And, you know, they, these have various ramifications for the comics industry, just mostly in terms of the Netflix pipeline slowing down. Yeah. And there was an awful lot of publishers who were using that Netflix pipeline as part of their business model. So, you know, that's part of the whole change, chaos, disruption that we're going through right now. But, you know, again, I think comics reflected this in a way. Uh, you know, just the larger societal trends. And, and I, I do think comics as a community, it's just so tight knit, you know, and losing somebody like, like Ian just really galvanized people. And yeah. uh, a couple of organizations that have come up, one is the cartoonist co-op and, um, and then there was another one and I, they, they have kind of a more like cartoonist. I'm, I'm going to mess up the name, so I'm not yeah. even going to say it. But uh, we talked about it on our last I'll podcast. Cartoonist co-op folks on the podcast because I'd love to do that. Just uh, we should this. because they're awesome. They're great folks, and we should have we should yes. have both of these orgs on. Actually, put that on the to do list. Let's I'd do like it. I'd like to yeah. understand better what they're doing. I met um, Sean Zardark at the Brooklyn Book Fest. Had some really interesting things to say. You know, I think. What we're getting at here, too, is that the WGA and uh, Actors Guild strike is inspiring. It's putting pressure on the industry and the comics industry side, but it also creates problems. This is partly what solidarity is about, right, is that there's yeah. – it takes struggle to make change in the labor movement. So it cut off a lot of the potential funding because of the slowdown um, of adoption of, you know, of work uh, that has to be adapted um, by writers who are on strike. And yet it also created like a clear beacon to say, you should also push for rights as a uh, comic. Yeah. There's, a, there's a really complex relationship there. But I, I, I also think we really, particularly in the comics industry, we really have to realize now that, uh, that there, there's a small breakthrough and that, that there are multiple channels now for revenue for mm-hmm. artists. Uh, you know, and my joke, of course, always is that, that there are more ways for artists to be underpaid than ever before. But this is a <laughs> beginning, uh, and it's a beginning to beef up all of these channels to to make sure that artists uh, are are fairly compensated, that they have legal representation, that you don't sign the things that are put in front of you. And as we enter into this new great world of massive audiences for webtoon properties and web comics. Uh, artists uh, as a, a new channel for emerging artists. Uh, these are prime um, platforms to rethink how artists are compensated and to let in, and to be transparent for publishers to be transparent about how they will con- contemplate these new artists, this new generation of artists. This is a Absolutely. massive new audience. 
Yeah. And, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, the, the, the future of comics is absolutely tied up with the whole web to web comics phenomenon, period, the end. You know, and even as the new form of, of, of serialization before bringing them to print, I mean, we're already seeing that happen as this article showed. And, uh, I would love to get, uh, Dan Baoki back on the show because she just could, she just finished a fact finding mission to Japan and Korea. So she found out a lot more about the whole webtoon industry. And I, I got to get her to write an article about it for the beat or somewhere. So, um, there's definitely more to, to come on that. You know, in the spring. So yeah. hopefully yeah. she'll be she'll be digging in there. Yeah. So for sure. So hey, you guys, I'm looking at the time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so real fast. There's how long have we been talking? Uh, we we've, we've got about forty minutes or so in, but I'm just looking at you know. I know, I know Meg's well, got a, we, got a train to catch. Yeah, we have, we have only a few more things to do here. Yeah, okay, we're yeah. The, we have three more. Yeah, we're good. Items. So now, can I, this is, this is, <laughs> can we talk about yeah. AI next year? Sure. <laughs> yes. Can I just, just real fast. I think it's not happening. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's well, not happening now, but it's happening. <laughs> I've just locked that particular robot in the closet. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just got, you know, you know, I mean, I have dabbled with using AI just for the most simplistic, like, you know, like Lincoln Logs, uh, showing my age there, uh, Tinker Toy. Mm. And I was like, this is not for me. I'm going to do it. He, the human labor, the hard way, because you still have to clean up after the robots. They're very right. messy. And, but, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I just like skeeted something about it and got like 40 responses. So, you know, everyone else is obsessed with AI right now. Yep. And, uh, I, that absolutely is going to be one of the biggest stories of 24 for sure. As I just think comics people are rugged individualists who are, you know, are most of them are like, nah, AI, that's, you know, I don't need that. Uh, but we're going to see it in, it, it become a tool in, in the best yes. case scenario. It's just going to become a tool that we can use to, to create less labor. And as soon as they have an AI that can come in and help me clean up all the books, open packages, and uh, sort all my books, I'm going to be yes. 100% down with it. There you it. go. But, you know, I mean, that's fair, Heidi, too, because I, I'm using it right now for transcription, for example. Yeah, fair. Yes. I think yeah, we all do. We lean into it as data management versus uh, some vision of a creative sure. force. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that and that's probably going to be its biggest impact in this transition as more and more powerful versions of it are released into the market. But certainly for now, I mean, you have artists like Tim Fielder who talks to me about how how it speeds up his ability to work on a variety of pro, uh, projects at one time. So, yeah. we, we you know, more to come on um, yeah. AI's more impact. More to come. We just yeah. did our best so, year, but should we want to talk about a big win this year? Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about, let's just round this out because there was just some unadulterated good news and guess what? A heck of a lot of good comics and yes. good graphic novels. So let's just wrap this up with a look at some of those, Meg. So, you know, Dan Santat won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature for his graphic memoir, which is such a wonderful That is fantastic. Here. Dan Santat's a fab- fabulous picture book creator and this is his debut graphic novel length work uh, and it was a memoir um, which I am 
go to our site. You can get the name of it. You can see the review. Uh, it was one of our anticipated books in the previews. A first time <laughs> for everything. A first time for everything. Thank you. Um, I also his um, he's just like a real sweetheart too. Like he's a great sort of horse and and kidlet. Yeah. Uh, it was a year of big books, but not one big book, which I actually think can be a good problem to have, which is that you see more coverage of more titles. I remember at the San Diego Comic-Con, that publishing panel where um, Fanographics and John and Quarterly essentially said, like, there can only be one if we have more <laughs> t- problem. And, you know, I, I hear where they're coming from, but I actually think we saw so many interesting works that did get that did rise up and, and get noticed. Um, two, I want to mention, you know, the talk by Darren Bell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner for editorial cartooning, and this was his his debut graphic, like long-form graphic work. Um, and also Adel Rodriguez's Worm. Um, and Adel Rodriguez is uh. a, a graphic artist who was a time cover artist and won a lot of acclaim for his um coverage of Trump, his satirical coverage of Trump, and he is Cuban-American, and this is his graphic memoir of immigration and then developing an identity as an artist in the U.S. Um, And those were just major works that um, are getting rounded up, we see, along with what would be considered the sort of the the big books of the season, um, Monica and Roaming Mm -hmm. by Dan Klaus and um, Jillian Amerika Tamaki. So I think we had a really good year in some ways but not having a single title really dominate there was there was room for a lot of there were a lot of good titles i mean obviously among the best books pw's best books uh, you mentioned a bunch of them uh i'd love to throw in blood of the virgin by sammy harkham which is Uh just extraordinarily good book he continues i think to uh to grow into really one of our great graphic fiction writers um uh and there's great nonfiction. I'd like to throw in just family style by Tin Fam, uh, mm-hmm. just because yeah. it's a really heartwarming. Yet another yeah. wonderful memoir about, um, you know, about different cultures. And we we enter the culture and and the food associated with it. And it, you know, graphic novels are just so great at telling these intimate stories. And and um, it's just there. You know, there was a lot of them, and they continue to be wonderful. Um, you know, I want to throw, I'm going to throw out a shout out to someone who's been a guest on PW, uh, more to come a couple times, but really somebody who I listened to a lot this year was Avi Ehrlich of Silver Sprocket. Yes, good point. And, and I got to go to their store in San Francisco on a trip and it's an absolutely incredible mm. store and really a vision of what comic shops and part of the community can be. And, you know, Avi mm. is also the publisher. Uh, he's a, uh, or they're a retailer, publisher, and just and distributor, just, and distributor, and I mean they just spoke the truth. We we yeah. talked about uh, them a lot on the last podcast with their pretty blunt tweet about sales being down twenty percent. Yes. but um, mm. you know, I do think Avi uh, exemplifies kind of the can-do spirit of comics. Absolutely, <laughs> what he's doing. I was on a panel with him at CXC, and and we and we talked great a bit about how. About really how he's he's removing himself from the conventional wisdom among publishers and where your books can can sell and how you to sell them, and I like to I, I what he does reminds me quite a bit of a publishing house called Microcosm uh, yes. Publishing, uh, where they find new markets. I often call them a sort of a a counterculture fringe cult publisher, but 
but basically what they do is they they just they just identified a bigger bigger mar a margin that sometimes I think the New York publishers and bigger New York comic publishers just are not paying attention to. So yeah, Microsoft is around for a long time. I mean, yes, they, he's been around for a while. Like Silver Sprocket, they distribute and publish Zine and my in mini comics as well as books into the trade book yep. market. Mm-hmm. Um, and Avi and into the gift shop market and yeah, any yeah, kind of odd, mm-hmm. they go wherever they think that people who would like their books might be. They have a design sense. So Avi really, I think, has a design sense that you see in um, books as art objects, and you know that's really present actually in the title that that Silver Sprocket published this year that is itself making its way into a lot of mainstream best books coverage, which is the Chromatic Fantasy by mm-hmm. A. H-A. And, you know, that has, um, gold, uh, leaf, you know. Oh, yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful yeah. book. It's a beautiful, it looks beautiful It's like a little Bible. Uh, and it references, you know, the, the, there's a bunch of nuns in it. So a lot of <laughs> nuns. And, you know, I think, I think we're, I've always joked about this for years that, you know, when all the, in, in the decline of the book industry, comics will be the last standing because they're actually objects <laughs> <laughs> and people like to have objects and books as furniture and books as, as design. And that's, that's something that I think they're doing with the real punk ethos, but also a very clear aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and love of, of print, you yeah. know. So. We have, can I mention two books? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then I'll shut up. Very quickly, and just because I mentioned, I, I, we're, we're living in an, an incredible time for graphic uh, uh, nonfiction. And very quickly, I want to mention Dave Chisholm's Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound, uh, a graphic biography of uh, the great Miles Davis uh, from Z2 Publishing, and uh, Toussaint L'Ouverture, the story of the only successful slave result, re- revolt in history, by CLR James, but adapted into the graph, a, a wonderful graphic history by Nick Watson, Sakina Karimji, who I just, uh, interviewed on the uh, podcast from Verso Books. Just tremendous use of the comics medium to throw light, a nuanced light on these great historical figures. I'm going to be coming back to you all soon to talk about our graphic novel critics poll, which I just sent in to John Mayer. Oh, yeah. so, well, more to come. I think our next episode is like looking forward to 2024. So we'll talk about more yes. of this stuff, obviously, in, in the coming episodes. Um, and, yeah, okay. uh, but yeah. You know, listen, it was a real year. I'll say that. And there was definitely some lows, but definitely highs. I mean, you know, going, sure. Meg, you got to go to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con for the first time. I know. It was a lot of fun. I was just thinking about that because I'm already planning six months ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got to sit back here and, you know, let people pat me on the back and, you know, watch, you know, Meg, you know, take, you know, uh, PW graphic novel coverage uh, to a new frontier. Uh, you know, if anyone's listening, there's lots of room for more tributes of Calvin. I mean, <laughs> really, let's, let's never stop them. Let's well, keep on going. much appreciated, but I, I you know, I, I, I appreciate it. We can, we can talk about other things too. <laughs> anyway, I, I gotta right, go. We're just about out of time, and Meg has to go. But there will be more to come. And you can bank on that.